0: This is the Sales Small Podcast. Your hosts Gary Hill and Ryan Reiser talk about the sales game and always keep it real. We are
1: live. Um, Mr. Hill, Mr. Hill, it's yes. been a couple. been a couple of. Uh, it's been a week or two weeks. I don't know. Uh,
0: two weeks.
1: You've been busy. Two weeks. Um, Around the pond, over the pond, around the around the moon. Do you know it is almost college football season? I'm pretty excited about that.
0: Who are you following?
1: Well, the Kooks, of course.
0: Yeah, of course. I'm just checking. I'm just yeah. checking. They're gonna be some people that, that understand how valuable and important college football is to many people on the other side of the pond to us. So You know, university sport in the UK is a bit underrepresented. We don't give massive stadiums and endowments and sports deals happening here. So we look at your stuff in the States and we're like, oh, man, that's awesome.
1: (laughs) Well, the the college kids are getting paid these days now. You know, they got the... Is it just the stipend
0: or is it image rights? I'm not quite sure what what the mechanics of that are.
1: Yeah, I don't know all the mechanics yet, but, I mean, they've always... The big ones have always gotten paid. Obviously, uh, it was always under the yeah, table you, you're stuff. You're telling but...
0: me that Shaquille O'Neal was not taking cash to be at LSU, right? Yeah,
1: there's no um,
0: more.
1: but uh, but no, that it's like the names, images, whatever. But some of those guys are getting paid pretty well. Like there's um, there's some guys that are are getting like a million a year as a college start. Like a guy that. That's starting in the starter at Alabama. I think it's getting like a million, two million, three million, or something like that, which is pretty cool to see because the NCAA they make uh, they make uh, so much money on those athletes. It's insane as a nonprofit.
0: (laughs) No, I'm I'm all for it, man. Like you know, everything's got an inherent value and a shelf life, and you know, football's so fickle. What? and they're so heavily exploited those college athletes man like you know it was amazing to be there and everyone goes yeah you get a free education but the reality is most don't pass their college degrees right so that that's a trade off that none of them ever get to realize so if they can capitalize on their value which is huge based on the valuations given to the TV rights, the naming rights for the stadiums, the endowments, the sponsorships, the kit deals, you know, the ticket prices, then yeah, I'm all for it, man. And it helps you set yourself up for the next thing, right? You know, a million dollars is gonna mean a lot, but you know, it's probably not gonna change somebody's life immediately. And you know, if he gets that ACL injury, Gonna have to do something with his career right do something next so you know that that sort of brings us into today's topic really which is navigating and managing a sales career as an employed sales people full of pitfalls hurdles minefields incorrect paths of correct paths and you know it's um it's a bit of a minefield for people so been thinking about it a lot recently you know two reasons layoffs Layoffs has been a big issue. It's very topical. Hootsuite, Dooley, you know, companies that were very proud of their GTM teams snuffed out overnight. So always curious to get your thoughts on how do you preserve your career? How do you protect your career? How do you do meaningful work inside your career? And then how do you identify where you should potentially go next? And, and what do you want to be one day? You know, I think that's a key question that most sellers don't actually know the answer to. What do you want to be when you grow up?
1: Yeah. Well, I think that there's been such a uh, an interesting uh, evolution within sales over the last few years. And I think there's going to be a future evolution in sales in the next few years uh, because of it. Um, but, you know, the, the rise of the uh, career uh, fractional seller I think is something that uh, that is real, and um, people are starting to recognize as opportunity. Um, and I can't really speak to what like career career looks like uh, in this journey, so I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it. But I do know, you know, for me when I when I first started in sales, I was excited about um, the career path that that is laid out for somebody. You know, where you can move from um, being the frontline, you know, cannon fodder rep, you know, the person that has to do the the, <laughs> the blunt of the crap work. Like that's just how entry-level sales is. You're going to go in and do the work no one else wants to do, um, uh, to move up the ranks from something like that to um, where leads might be getting passed to you. And the difference between those who succeed and fail in that next level are the ones that don't stop doing the hard work. And then from there, you can move up from doing that to maybe um, leadership, you know, running a small team or uh, move up in, um, you know, deal size, uh, you know, w- within different market segments, uh, different, uh, different deal values. Uh, and so you can work your way up through from being a cannon fodder development rep to, you know, an AE to uh, like an enterprise. Uh, seller. And that's like a 10-year path uh, for a lot of people um, where if you do it the right way at the right companies, you can make a lot of money. Um, for me, I was always a part of early, early stage startups. And so, you know, the opportunities to to take advantage of leadership early happened for me because there was just no one else there. It's like, oh, well, we, we want to grow the team. Who's going to, who's going to start to manage a small team? I guess the the person who started doing it in the first place should be the one to do it, um, but but I think that there's a traditional path that, if followed correctly, especially in software sales, uh, people can really set up, set themselves up to do um, a lot of great work, make really great money, and not have to work too difficult. Like their work doesn't have to be too difficult. Um, however, people don't want to put in the work to get there that's, that's the challenge. Um, And they're always after the next position through uh, at least in the last, again, 10 years or so, because of the bull market and all the opportunity, you've seen people jump from company to company, company to company versus like staying within a company and growing up through the ranks. It's very rare that you see um, salespeople at companies for more than like two years these days. It's crazy. If you look at the, um, the tenure, And, uh, and again, I'm not somebody who stuck around and, and worked at one company for 10 years. So I don't have that traditional path yeah. and, you know, I, I've taken the entrepreneurial route along the way too, but, but, um, but you see the ones that have, and you could see their career path within organizations. And those are the ones where 10 years into their career, they kind of have that next, that next shot for them is almost like the pick, like the pick of the crop, but where it gets challenging for them is like, do they choose the right company? You mentioned yeah. Duolingo and Hootsuite just now. Like those are two companies that, you know, six months ago, probably felt pretty safe uh, if you were somebody that's ready to make your next move. Like, you know, uh, so it's it's interesting um, what the future is going to look like. Um, yeah. not, there is no security in, in an organization, it seems, right? The, the changing, refocusing, was the sweet thing, or refocusing uh, 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 is something that can happen to anybody at any time in sales. Yeah.
0: I think um, you're right about narrowing focus as your, your career progresses. I think the fundamentals of that are you've got to consistently do hard work all of the time, and each sort of promotional leap or each job change still requires you to take everything you know and practice and execute and job one into job two, job two into job three plus job one, job four equals job three plus job two plus job one. You can't ever become detached from the disciplines and the behaviors that helped you get job two and made you good at job one ever. And I think the second that you do that you eliminate your earning potential massively. You're probably el- eliminating your human potential massively. Because you're not fulfilling that that opportunity that's now being presented to you, I think it's different in public companies because in public companies you can retain your best staff with RSUs, which go well beyond your normal compensation model. All right, so if I've got restricted stock units that are, you know, price price tagged and strike price driven, I, I'm pretty healthy place. I can realize the value in a different way of my tenure. Um, which is what makes public companies seem so appealing. But I think in the moment, what we're seeing in sort of scaling private venture-backed companies is a bloodbath, right? So, you know, what do you want from your career? Well, you just want a bit of stability, I think, from a lot of people right now. You want an opportunity to be creative and dynamic and a great seller, but you also have to be in a company where the market is dominant enough, or the company is dominant enough within the markets it operates in, and then, What do you want within that Well, you want to become the trusted person in that market that your prospective buyers turn to um and that's the definition for me of a great selling career is am i the person that people in the market turn to for advice even if i'm never going to sell to them do they call me do they reach out to me do they connect with me but i think most people don't appreciate how hard that is to come by you know it's taken me 21 years or i now get people sort of texting me or phoning me or getting me on linkedin or sending me a message going jerry i need a bit of help with this can you help um and and i, I just want to i guess focus in on one thing that patience is required you're not going to get what you want today it is going to require some craft and some effort and some real thought about well what does this mean if i do this job what does it mean if i do that job what does it mean if i do that job because Each job carries surprise components attached that you might not be suited to. So just because you see somebody as a VP of sales, do you actually understand the mechanics of that job? Intimately enough to actually commit yourself to wanting to get there, or are you just looking at the job title, the lifestyle, the fact that they sit above you, the fact that they buy the work drinks on Taco Tuesday on the company card, and you like that sensation? You like that feeling? You'd like to have that feeling, You know, so it requires some serious thought. I also think one of the other things about this sort of recessionary environment and people getting laid off, it's probably good for a lot of sellers. You know, when you're in a bull market, selling's order-taking for a lot of people, and there's no real pressure. You know, but the second you get confronted with pressure, like, guess what? Is it for me? Do I want to do it? Do I enjoy doing it? Do I make sense of this in hard times? Who knows? So maybe it's an opportunity to dive out to another career, right? Something different, something you're more suited to.
1: What do all the sellers do if they're if they're done selling?
0: Become teachers.
1: They go. They become teachers.
0: <laughs> oh, Sorry, that's great. <laughs> that's I have got
1: awesome. my, my fallback. All right.
0: Like, no, that's I'm facetious. There's, there's a there's a saying in England which is those who can do those who can't teach those who can't teach teach Jim <laughs> uh,
1: that's a that's definitely a saying and I don't know I haven't heard the one about teach Jim but um, <laughs> those who can those who can do th- those who can't teach I've heard that yeah. I've heard that in the states um, uh, but I, I think that the the reality is around, career in general it's like this new it's weird because our generation doesn't seem to especially the younger younger um millennials and then now the gen z years popping up there doesn't seem to be a huge emphasis on work in general it's just like it's just like life 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 and this whole idea of work life balance everybody wants life without this idea of work and um because of that drive for wanting to have this work-life balance, they, they can't figure out work because they're after something that I think is very difficult to accomplish. Um, and going back to your point around like patience and like commitment to uh the process and the the time it takes to get to a point where you, you can enjoy those things where the pressure isn't as high. I mean, I've said this several times before that, um, you know, many of the decisions that I made in the past, especially, you know, when I left some of the startups that I was at as a VP of sales to another startup, it's like, for what purpose at that time, I was thinking that, that, you know, the grass is green on the other side, there's more opportunity, so on and so forth. But the amount of work it takes to get back at it, you know, it takes 18 to 24 months before you've really started to develop a solid pipeline in a market. Uh, And then it becomes easier, right? Like all the people that you talk to, you're in this, this cycle now with Connect and Sell. Uh, you and I started there around the same time, yeah. and I'm I'm guessing that you probably have deals that come in from that first six 6-12 six, months yeah. that are coming back now. You know, yeah. um, and you don't you didn't have to work for some of those either; it just came yeah. back. Hey Jerry, one I'm ready week. to talk now.
0: One this week. <laughs> yeah. See, I mean, by well, one this week came back. I've got budget, I've got sign-off, sorry it's taken so long, you know, we've experimented with other things, duh, 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 duh. at the end of the day, came back, right? And that was a proactive call back to me. And I don't think that most sellers seem to realise that actually most sellers in the companies and environments that they're in hit their full potential until their, their fourth year, all right? And think about the yeah. maths, right? We think about maths all the time, 3% of people in market right now. Companies displace and replace system services and propositions every 12 quarters, especially if they're capitally intense, right? Or big purchases. So if I'm prospecting today on day one, I'm only talking to 3% of the market. But If I'm prospecting to um, the next sort of cohort, the next quarter that I'm in my job, well, I've identified people in the first quarter. I'm identifying people in the second quarter. I'm identifying people in the third quarter. Now it's just to keep recycling and following up consistently and persistently to stay relevant and top of mind. That's the job Um, and then managers that come along as they come along, bits of inbound, bits of outbound, bits of creative LinkedIn, bits of creative ideas. But, you know, everybody goes into market. Nobody's got a budget for what you do unless you're industry incumbent, right? Nobody's got that thing itemized. Nobody's got an itemized budget for Ryan Reza or ready Leads, that's for sure. Nobody's got a budget for connecting, so, all right? So you have to do the hard work and grind through and grind through, and then you get some headway and you build some momentum, and the momentum gives you motivation, and the motivation drives you momentum. The deals start to become more consistent. They get better in value. The renewals start to come through. The new business compounds as the renewals compound, and... Three, four years in, all of a sudden you market dominant. But it takes that long to drive a successful selling career. Most sellers leave two point, well, most VPs of sales leave at 17 months now. If you take a bookend and a middle approach to, to what the data is telling us, some say 15 months, some say 19 months going to 17. Um, you know, how can you make an impact in 17 months? You can't really. And then your reps underneath you well that means that if they stay for four years they're going through two and a half vps it's not sustainable so no wonder people are consistently looking for for new job opportunities and then the job opportunities are defined by higher salary and higher ote but here's the trick none of the none of the reps in the world are asking for the right questions around ote attainment how many reps are getting there what do you have to do to get there show me what your best reps earning Can I speak to reps who've left the company? What would the best three reps who left the company who weren't laid off? What would they say about why they left? Hardly anybody's asking those questions. Hardly anybody's asking to speak to customers. Hardly anybody's asking to speak to investors. So what do you do? You look at the job advert. You go, okay, salary's higher, tick. OTE's higher, tick. And then guess what? a year down the line you're like oh my god i can't make this money because everything's against me the system sucks the process sucks the enablement sucks the marketplace isn't as dynamic as we thought they're only paying us a lot of money because they were well funded Shit, i better look for the next thing what do i look for a bit more money uh, brilliant ote and then i just repeat that pattern and that's what 80 to 90 percent of sellers seem to consistently do with their lives per- perennial job search
1: The questions, the questions that uh, you raise are um, so basic too, and you don't even have to ask them. You could these days, you can do it on your own, right?
0: Like okay, I review, right? Well, you you go, to
1: Reb, yeah, you go to yeah, you go review, um, but you could go to LinkedIn and you know look at previous previously at um, reach out to people. Um, I'm sure uh, you could be proactive, but. I mean, the reality is, when you move, when you move a job, when you're moving a job in sales, it's because one of two reasons: you either got fired, and so you're desperately just trying to find your next job, or, yeah. or you. So, of course, you're not doing any of that. You're just taking whatever's going to come to you, or you're frustrated. Um, you're frustrated with your current position, and so you're just kind of you're already looking through rose colored glasses at, um, you know, this other opportunity, you're not really being, uh, thoughtful, um, yeah. you're, you're anything's better than whatever your currency. So there's never this like perfect time to transition because if you're happy, you're happy, you know? And so that's the interesting part about the sales career, because yeah. if you're at a company where things are going well, like, why would you leave? Um, and, um, you know, a little bit more money though, that doesn't make sense. Cause if you're crushing it, like you make your money on selling, not on your base. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So, so that's why, that's why that happens. Um, and so you're, you're getting, you're getting people to move in a moment of vulnerability and yeah. that vulnerability has a lot of emotion charged to it probably after, maybe a bad quarter or a bad month or a bad conversation with leadership or a, a change in territory or something. Of or that nature. Room,
0: right. This is the thing, like all salespeople inside of companies talk to each other. You know, we used to have our little slack thing, you and me, and you know, with little vents and we'd bitch about stuff and we'd bitch about other people. And, you know, if that rumor starts self perpetuating and somebody else catches wind and somebody else is viral, man, it's like Corona. It's just going to go through the sales force like a really, really bad dose of something. And, you know, that, that creates really low morale, even if it's not true, even if it's not instinctively right. And I think that, you know, that's as damaging as anything else, but all it takes is one rumor and people start looking on that basis. Right. And the recruiters, the headhunters, they hear the rumor, they compound on the rumor. And, you know, that conversation that innocently happened between, you know, Jamal and Janine, like the water cooler phew, can create a huge amount of fear, uncertainty, and doubt for reps. So and then you look around, right? The other thing that I think people get freaked out a bit about is quota adjustment year on year. You know, and that's right in a way. You know, I did my job, I did my job really well. I'm not really accountable for renewals, but because I've been here for a little bit longer, you're not gonna up my quota, even though we've defined what's 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 sort of high potential in the territory. So reps who are sort of prone to consistent quota uplifts year on year that seem unreasonable and unfair, they're always adjusting to look for something else, you know, because if I could only just do 500k in year one, what makes you think I'm going to do 800k in year two? What makes you think I'm going to do 1.2 million in year three? All right, so, Oh, and then it gets harder to obtain my my financial rewards because now my quota is going up and my plan's not changed, but it's going up alongside it. I'm going to make less money, not more money, unless I've got a renewal piece baked in, which makes that sustainable and achievable. So if I'm I'm constantly readjusting quotas, there's no way my reps are staying. And that's another sort of parasitic sort of rumour foundation for people to leave. What's your quota? Oh, my God. Why did yours grow so much? Why did mine not? And the other thing is salary difference in teams. You know, that gets huge morale killer if it leaks out. Yeah. I remember, I remember when I was at Frost & Sullivan, I found out that I was probably one of our top three producing reps in my first year there. And just by virtue of my tenure, I wasn't getting paid as much as somebody that was hired in externally. I found out what their basic salary was, and I lost my shit. I lost my shit to everybody who would listen. Other reps, line managers, partners, didn't matter I would lost my shit to everybody (laughs) and it forces the company into making a decision about you and they retain me and I justified all the cost that came with with bumping me up to an equal level but man it can create some toxicity
1: the um The career, the career seller who finds an organization that's going to provide them a bump free road, um, we could probably agree doesn't exist. And, um, and I think that the other thing that's interesting about this though, is, is there's almost a negative connotation with those who stuck around at one company for a really long time too. Like if you're at one company these days for eight, nine, 10 years, it's almost like what, it's almost like you start to question their, what's wrong with them? Like, are they, is there any drive in that individual to want to do more? Um, Which is kind of funny to think about uh, when not that long ago, you know, our parents would be the, stay at the one company forever, you know, retire, get the gold yeah. watch. Um, so it's interesting. Uh, it's really interesting that you've got these pressures, these internal um, like emotional driving forces to want to go out and find a change. And then there's also almost this other um, societal drive of don't you want to don't you want to move? Um, and i found myself i found myself talking to some people who are a little bit more they stick around a little bit more than um than others you know let's say they they're usually at a company for three four years versus one or two um and when i when they talk to me about wanting to move to the next role i'm always like well why like at this point you've been there for three or four years like why move at this stage like you know um and sometimes it's just it's it's to get like this this wanting something new you know a new experience a new culture
0: yeah very little changes very little transforms in selling like most people still run into the same friction which is can't have enough conversations can't compound the conversations that i can get i'm not inherently happy with the mql flow my sdl sucks my ae sucks my vp of sales sucks nothing ever really changes just the badge and the environment and the customer changes a little bit and and that can be refreshing for some people i guess i think the person one there's a guy i really admire who, who told me something once he's my counterpart at sales loft his name's Ollie sharp he's a really good human He's an ex dinner, and he was there for nine, nine and a half, 10 years, something like that, before he moved to sales lot. And I said to him, you know, that was quite an impressive stint in a technology shop in 20, you know, in our generation. And he said, oh, don't get me wrong, Jerry, I'd have left a lot of times, but there were actually new and interesting jobs for me to do every two and a half years. Inside of that 10-year rapper, he had a new right. job. And it was completely different to the previous job. It wasn't just an extension of being a seller you know, there was some sales development leadership, there was some channel work, there was some go to market strategist job, there was some chief of staff work, there was some total overall leadership work, right. And they weren't like tap on the shoulder promotions, which is common for most long long term, sort of one company kind of sellers, it was total change and transformation using existing skill set into a new strategy. And, and, you know, I thought on that, I was like, yeah, actually, that defines a relatively healthy, mobile, broad career. Can I do multiple jobs in different departments and functions while still maintaining my core salesmanship or go market, um, skill sets. And, you know, I think that he was absolutely right. Make it known that I wanted to develop a career and that meant doing multiple jobs and I had the security to do it in one company. Where I think I'd be really bored or I think majority of sales people would be really bored is if I started as an SDR, I then became an AE, I then became a senior AE, I then became a sales director, I then became a VP, I then, you know, that's 14 years of probably undervaluing yourself because the market determines your value, not the company you're in. And companies are notorious for underpaying reps who get promoted consistently. You know, there's probably a 5% haircut at every promotion, which means if I get five promotions in a 15 year career, I'm getting underpaid 25% of my market rate to peer. You know, So if I'm an RVP in that company, and my baseline is 200k, everyone else is earning 225, right? <laughs> it's, it's um, that there, there are good reasons for taking components of your career and put, putting them elsewhere.
1: And then if the other the other piece that's interesting these days is that you do have the opportunity to a lot more opportunity now more than ever because of the competitive landscape to to make those moves into organizations that um, are selling into the same market um, but provide a new opportunity a lot more than before you know um, there's just so many me too opportunities uh, yeah. and the proliferation of of um of technology within in any any industry just is blown up so you can you 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 can have a career in an industry doing a similar job selling to a similar audience but selling different for different companies Um, and then it's a lot easier to find those opportunities now you know um i came up through the martech ad tech martech loom escape when i remember seeing that, that those things when they first started coming out there was like two or three hundred companies and that's the one that is now at like seven thousand you know if you have, you have to like take out a magnifying glass to look in on the like number of people within just like the subcategory and you see that now within just sales development you know david delaney has his like little market map thing he's grown over yeah. the years and it's yeah. it's crazy how many companies have blown up from um, just the last five years uh, mm. within that space. And so I think that's the other piece that's interesting. It's just the uh, the access to uh, opportunity and that's that's the war for talent um which I think transitions into the statement i'm I started with early on here was the rise of the career fractional yeah seller. I mean, what are your thoughts on, on that as a real, yeah. like as a real option, not, not just a fractional sales development rep, we already seen fractional yeah. sales leaders, but it's fractional sellers, fractional. Closers. Yeah.
0: I think, I think it's probably something elite sales people can do today because every market, every messaging pillar, every product and every proposition is different. So they're going to have to cluster around specific themes. Um, It's kind of like the MSP model, right, Managed Service Provider model. I understand public sector, IT, healthcare, what vendors sit in, totally agnostic, we'll come in and solve the problem and then bring in the vendor behind you. I can imagine a world where there's a sales rep who's like, I know chatbots for our transformation. So I'll go and sell against the problem and then I'll find the vendor and I'll find one or two or three vendors and help manage that process is how I imagine it paying off in my head. Because I think about that, I'm, I'm quite good at my job, right, and I'm wondering if I could manage the cognitive switching that it requires to become an expert enough to add enough value, unless I'm completely transactional at like 50 bucks a month or whatever the seat license is. So, you know, there are some, some friction points there, but maybe my hubris and my sort of self-limiting beliefs getting in the way on, on some of that stuff. It would work if I've got really good prescriptive talk tracks already put in place and I'm a good actor and I can just learn the talk tracks and then use my fundamental salesmanship underneath that, which never goes away across any market, the quality of questions and, you know, the depth of business questions and so on. So how do you screen for that is, is the next question and how do you monetize it? Is it through a platform? Is it like a Selex kind of thing, which is probably a bit sort of cheap and nasty at the moment and just geared towards SDRs? I don't know really what the answer is to making it work. And then how do you divide your time? Because, you know, there are certain deals, you and I both know there are certain deals that require a huge amount of time. And how do I give my time to everybody if I'm working across a portfolio of five companies to sell for five companies? So I, I get why it's attractive because it means I'm not tying a big salary cost to my, my p and I'm basically treating humans as consultants and then I'm basically hoping that the payoff is there for me when they go out and execute the deal. But the incentives need to be structured the right way. otherwise. You know if i'm a rep today i'm going to be a bit like a rep that as i am right now i'm going to work on the high value ops not the low value ops and if i'm getting a propensity a high value ops from one company and i'm getting lower value ops from another company guess where i'm spending my time right so there's quite a lot structurally to unpick to make it work but i understand the benefit and the value of it no ends.
1: the um the experience that i can see that working out in, like you said already is if i if i have a intimate understanding of the the problems of specific larger organization organizations going through and like there's this life cycle of of solutions that need to go through this process um that's where it becomes really interesting to me because you're already in there and um completing the cycle of whatever the entry point solution is towards this journey um like just stacking the next ones on you know it could be really nice for the buyer and the seller um because it's just this is the next best thing that comes in at this time and there's a lot less conflict um if you understand that roadmap as well because most organizations um if you think about companies and their acquisition strategy, that's what they're doing anyway when they buy, you know, and they're adding on these upsell cross-sell systems into their um, uh, portfolio. Right. Sprinkler did this really well um, where they just bolted on all of these different solutions. Um, And so you could almost mimic that, but it would be difficult to, um, I think it'd be difficult to pull off, uh, running, you know, multiple cycles at the same time for completely different types of products. It's not, not impossible, obviously. Um, I mean, I, I do it all the time with my entrepreneurial side of things, right? I might have a couple of different things going. And so there's a process for this. There's a process for that. I'm selling for multiple companies, but, um, but I think the average seller struggles to task switch you have to have to be a pretty special if they have to be a pretty special individual to task switch um, and manage your day properly and actually keep each of those things fueled um, in a way I reckon a, lot of good, I
0: reckon a lot of good sellers could probably manage like the foundational sort of talk track approach but it's, it's the detail of the follow-up stuff that i think would be let down in that model um Because that's essentially what we know is ultimately key to people's success. Do I follow up appropriately quickly? Do I follow up with accuracy, veracity and quality? And does that follow up jam as much value into the previous engagement we just had in the minute, right, moments ago? I think that's the real sort of tempo issue that a lot of people would have in that model. And I find, I find that most sellers would find it attractive because I won't get bored anymore. But, end up spinning plates that they're not used to spinning so again it's like starting off with an elite percentage of reps who can manage their time sufficiently and do the detail work and service more masters it's going to be tough to get right i think i reckon i could do it i reckon you could do it i reckon mclaren could do it um i reckon someone like thomas picard could do it somebody like scott lease could do it um those are the people that I would back to be able to get it done, but I reckon it would be really hard in the first couple of cycles.
1: You would have to, um, specialize the, see, that's the interesting part about that. Um, they have like a professional pitch, man, uh, or in clap, the orange class of the world, you know, come yeah. in, um, uh, and they're in and out someone else has to deal with, deal with the dirty work of uh yeah. all right now how do we get the paperwork involved and so on and so forth but yeah. um it's just an interesting it's an interesting um next phase i'll pay um,
0: all of money to do it for if i if i could afford hire on a one-to-one level You could be my pitch man i'll do the detail right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh yeah, and anyway, uh, great conversation today. Um,
0: yep.
1: So, let's uh, let's uh, circle this one up, land the plane yep. on uh, talk track around careers. Uh, sales is a tough racket. Indeed. What's the, what's the, um, Glenn Gary Glenn Ross, uh, shake the glass. But um, for those of you that are still crushing it out there in a recession and. Playoffs uh, stick to it. I think uh, we are um, we're in a position now where if you believe in what you do, um, just keep drumming that drum because um, I don't think things are as tough as as the stories might tell us. Um, if you just do the work, um, I think you're gonna be in great shape. having been through the last recession. Uh, uh, was no better time for putting in work and getting things done, uh, the fruits of the laborers will really yield.
0: So couldn't agree And that isn't the hustle pool and that's a fact of life. Putting the work today, you're going to benefit from it. tenfold um, as soon as you come out of this thing, I, I think Q1 next year, people are going to realize that it's been quite an irrational recession driven by interest rates and false economic factors. And that their businesses are healthier than they think they are, and they're going to be ready to reinvest that capital. So the only way you're going to be able to redefine your ear right now, instead of looking for a job, is probably to stay put, work hard, work your way through it, do your fundamentals really well, reap the benefit of all that work, put up massive numbers, and then you're in a good position to then go and take the next step or the next job. But doing it now is a bit short-sighted, I imagine. If you can maintain or retain, then then do that. Absolutely. Ooh. All right, brother. All right, we'll, we'll see you. We'll, we'll see do you do next you time. We'll you go well.